I've been so excited about this series of messages because it kind of brings us back to the basics, you know. Uh, you know, every now and then in your walk with God, you walk with God for a number of years. Sometimes, you know, you just need to get just kind of readjusted. Uh, we have a tendency sometimes to get complacent in our walk with God, and, uh, and we just forget. So every now and then it's good to go back to what I call Christianity 101. And but uh, there are some powerful insights as we have been in recent weeks have been exploring, um, you know, uh, how to be an effective uh, uh, witness for Jesus Christ. We talked about skillfully casting a net last week. We dealt with the encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, which was absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And uh, we're going to be dealing again today uh, with a, a woman um, that was uh, had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, and we're going to talk today about the attitude that we should have as it relates to sharing our faith. Attitude, everybody say attitude. attitude. That's important. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number eight, and I'll begin reading in verse. We'll read verses one through twelve. The Gospel, according to John. Uh, chapter number 8, we'll begin reading in verses 1 through 12. When you're there, you can say amen. amen. And everyone went to his own house. I'm sorry, that's verse 53. The way my Bible is, a jumble up. So verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. He taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. I told you, we're going to preach good this morning. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? <laughs> this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Like he was kind of giving them the silent treatment. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down. He wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even into the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word.
God, we thank you, Lord God, for the power of your word. I pray that you would take these lips of clay, do what you will. I pray, Lord, that you would saturate my heart with your will so that what comes out of my mouth will be directly from your spirit. I pray that you would quicken me afresh and use me in this hour. For, Lord God, I died in myself that the life of your son might have this podium. So, Lord, have this podium right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Some years ago, when I first came into the kingdom of God, like many of you, I was very, very excited about being a believer. I was on fire, as they would say. My whole world was changed. Um, I became so passionate that I was one of those guys that would get to church an hour early uh, just so that I could be in the front because I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss anything. And so I was a part of a ministry that was a, a large ministry at that time. Still is a large ministry. And I just gobble, gobble, gobbled up the word. I just I just was just on fire for God. Uh, so then after about a year, uh, God has spoke to me, I believe, to uh, join another ministry that was considerably smaller, uh, sort of just kind of getting started, uh, kind of like where we are today. And um and I joined that ministry, and we had such a camaraderie. Uh, I mean, we all loved each other. There was this thing of family. I mean, I, I knew some brothers there, and I had worked with them. And it was just the most fascinating thing that you could ever experience. I mean, I felt like I was on cloud nine. I mean, things were going wonderful. Uh, you know, I felt like I was at home. Uh, I just felt like I was growing. And well, everything was just beautiful. And then... Some time kind of went by, and things began to change. And um, suddenly I noticed that the pastor who, and I can say this now because that church is no longer, but uh, the pastor began to preach those kind of uh, difficult messages uh, to the point that on a weekly basis I felt like, you know, it was just, I was being beat upside the head. I would leave church, and I felt like I was, I was just on the football field, you know. I just felt like I was in a fight. And there was a kind of self-righteous attitude that kind of began to take over us. I mean, we became very, very ritualistic. Uh, you know, what we would do oftentimes, we would, um, you know, you know we, we were big on reading our Bible and praying. And, 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 and then, you know, we were kind of taught kind of like, well, if you miss a day of reading your Bible, you know, if you miss a day of kind of praying and don't you miss a day of church, because if, if you do that, then God is going to be mad at you. And so I walked around for a very, very long time, beginning this joy that I had suddenly begin to evade me because I kind of felt like that no matter what I did, I could not measure up because after all, my intention was I want to be pleasing to God. And so then it became a thing whereby I noticed in our church that we begin to kind of look down on other ministries. Like we were a little bit better than everybody else because we had a list and we did the list of things. And by doing the list of things that made me feel like that we had, you know, uh, us feel like that we were a little bit better than everybody else. And we would all but say that. And so. We started noticing things happening. We had a Christian school, and, but then we just kind of felt like something 
it's missing. And I, I never forget, I had my sister. She, she came in to visit one time. She walked into church. She says, something is not right. She said, I don't know what it is. And I'm like, what's wrong? I mean, you know, I'm kind of like in this. Everything's going well. I mean, it's our church. You know, this is my home. You know, what's wrong with my church? She said, I, I don't really know. She said, just something is just not right here. I don't know what it is. Something is not right. And then after more time had expired and I realized that we had become a very, very legalistic church. People who would come would kind of like say, can't stay here long because there's, there's no room for grace. That if, you, if I blow it, then you've blown it royally. And there was an atmosphere and a culture in our church that, uh, you know, you know, you're with God and you're more, you're, you're, you're serious believers over here and the not so serious believers over here. And, and, and for the most part, we're the only really serious believers on the block. That, that sounds cultish to you. And so that attitude uh, was something that many of us begin to take note of and our eyes were open. It's kind of like you're born again, but then you get reborn again. You're like, wait a minute, what, what, what's going on here? And, and I realized even when we would go out and share the gospel with people on the street, there was kind of a, an arrogance about how we shared the gospel. You know, I am where I am, and, you know, and if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell. And I, I used to feel good about telling people that. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just telling you where God has brought me from. And, uh, and I felt good about, you know, letting people know. And there was something about the pastor would just love to parade the people before the church. Everybody who sinned, who had a problem, let's just bring them out front. And we would just say, look up, brother, sister, so-and-so, the center of the week, right here. Check them out. And there was something about us that felt like, well, you know, they're not walking with God, but, you know, I am. What's wrong with them? I mean, don't I mean they obviously they don't love God and you know obviously they got you know something wrong with them. Maybe they just ain't saved. That's how we used to think. We used to just, I mean, it was just kind of like this kind of warped way of thinking that really permeated every aspect of our Christian life. And then we couldn't wonder couldn't wonder why won't people get saved? Why won't people like busting the door down trying to get in here? And my sister said, because something ain't right. (laughs) Jesus had a kind of attitude about him that, as we have been talking about, that people were drawn to him. They loved to hang out with him. When I say people, I'm talking about sinners. Because there was something about Jesus that he did not make them feel like they were the worst people on the planet. You know what I've come to discover is that most people realize that they're jacked up. Did you know that? Most people realize that they got a problem, and the last thing they need to do is have somebody to stand up and preach to them and tell them how, just how bad you are. Well, but the very, the very fact that I came to church, I ought to say something to you. The very fact that I'm going to take five minutes to listen to you tell me about Jesus, I ought to tell you something. I, I know something wrong with me. But don't just tell me how bad I am. Can you please help me get out of this mess? 
how can I get out of this mess? You need, we, we talked about the good news. I think you mentioned that. You know, the gospel is supposed to be good news. You know, when you share good news, there ought to be an excitement about sharing the good news. There ought to be something positive that, that when you say, you know, when, when somebody says, I got some good news to share with you. Usually, if somebody say that to you, you perk up. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What, 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 what? You want the good news or the bad news first? Uh, I don't know. Good news first, good news, good news. Tell me the good news. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Because good news, the gospel means good news. The gospel should not be oppressive news that make people feel like they're just, ugh. Our gospel is supposed to lift people. Every time you preach and declare the gospel, the gospel lifts people up. That's what Jesus was in the business of doing. And what happened was the Pharisees got upset because you need to be putting burdens on people. You need to be making people feel guilty and bad about every sin that they have committed. You need to make them feel terrible. And so here's what's the conflict. The Pharisees like, they didn't understand that. What, what, why are you, why, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you not know who this is? And, and here's what happens. We forget where we came from. If we're honest, you know, uh, you forgot all about how you used to cuss like a sailor. You forgot all about how you used to hate people. You forgot all about how you used to get drunk and commit all kind of immorality and sin, and you were just, just, just following the lust. Somehow we get saved, we get sanctified, we get filled with the Holy Ghost. Those people, they're now those people. They're those, see, those. Who? Those right there. Look at them. As if we got something we can really brag about, something that we did. And, but, you know, the Bible says that, uh, I believe Romans 4, 2, it talks about how it is his goodness and his mercy that leads us to repentance. What makes the gospel attractive is when we present it in a way that it is bathed in love, whereby it, it approaches people and let people know, I know how bad you are, but the good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in the condition that you are. There is hope for you. I accept you where you are, but I'm going to lift you up to a higher place. I got good news for you. And so it is when we present the gospel in a way that let people know that, that, that you know, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Now, we don't neglect the truth. Come on. We don't try to skirt around what we need to talk about. But there's love is connected to it. I fear sometimes we're like some of the disciples, you know, when Jesus wanted to go through a certain town and uh, they wouldn't let him go through or something like that. And, and the, the disciples, Lord, let's send fire on earth from down heaven. Just burn them up. Boom, burn them up. Burn them. Burn them up. You remember that story? Yeah, yeah. Disciples, they're walking with Jesus. Holy, right? Lord, send, they won't let you go. Through. Send fire. So y'all better be glad I'm not God. <laughs> Because when I was a guy, you know, I'd be, mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know. But that's the attitude that we all have to wrestle with because what we're really dealing with is the pride in us that says that we're just a little bit better. We have arrived. We got something we can really brag about, something about us, when in actuality, it has nothing to do with you. See, when you get a revelation that it really has nothing to do with you, then when you start talking with other people, you look at people differently. You see people differently. 
You don't look at them the same way because you, you look at them as a soul. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means he gave. He so loved the world. That means every soul is important to God. From the guy that is homeless that you see out on the street that we try real hard to try and justify, you know, uh, why we shouldn't help them. Well, they're that way because of what they did. They are that way because of their own sin, their own, their own unrighteousness. All that may be true. But isn't that what mercy is all about? Whatever happened to mercy? Whatever happened to you? Yeah, brother, you blew up, but you know mercy's here. <laughs> I'm preaching better than y'all letting on right now. Watch this. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, I love that verse. You know how loaded that verse is? He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How many of you want God's mercy? How many of you feel like you need his mercy? I don't know about you, but I wake up every day, every day, and I say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. I can't walk five foot without thinking an evil thought. Because you realize what you are. And so you know you need the mercy of God. You know if you got any conscience at all, any awareness of where God brought you from, you know you need God's mercy. The implication here is what he's saying is that if you're not merciful to other folk, then you can't be calling on me for mercy. Because your father, my father, is a merciful God. He doesn't reward us according to what we have done. It's it's going to get better and better. I want you to stay with me. He hasn't rewarded according to what he has done, but according to his mercy. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That means the Bible also says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so great is God's mercy toward those who fear him. God got so much mercy, you can't exhaust it. You cannot exhaust the mercy and the grace of God. Now, if that bothers you, you need to pray. There's a spirit of legalism that's on your life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35 and 36, you got that verse? Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Watch this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like what? Sheep having no shepherd. I want you to hear that. What was Jesus moved by? What he did not say was, wait a minute. um, Let me do a full scale investigation on how you got there. I mean, I see you sitting there holding this sign looking all dirty and uh, I see you got all these issues and problems with your your family broke up, and I see you got all these issues, but, but let me do a full-scale investigation first to figure out, because I'm willing to bet that you're there because you're just rebellious, because of something you did. 
And all the while, we completely forgot what, what we did. See, mercy says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I see where you are. I see what you've done. But in spite of that, I'm going to bless you anyhow. Glory to God. Isn't that good? See, that's good news. That's good news. When you start preaching like that, people want to hear what you got to say. Because remember what I said on the onset of this message. People already know they're jacked up. They know they're messed up. That's why they come to church. Because <laughs> something inside of them says, you need to get it right with God. And they know it. And that's why Jesus says, I come, I, I've come. He says, come unto me, all you labor and who are heavy laden. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Matthew eleven twenty eight, and you will find rest unto your souls. He says, come unto me. Come, you who are weary, you're tired. You've been going through it. He says, here, come, come, come to me. You're going to find that when you come to me, you're going to find some rest. You're going to find somebody that's not going to judge and condemn you, but it's going to lift you up. I'm going to empower you to go beyond where you are. Oh, good. That's good. Somebody say good news. See, that's good news. Now, now let's take it a step further. Look at Ephesians chapter number two. We're going somewhere with this. Ephesians chapter number two. Y'all stay with me. Ephesians chapter number two. Watch this now. I, this, is, this, is, uh, this is some good stuff. Watch this. He says now, when you're there, say amen. We'll start reading verse number one. For those of you who haven't seen me in a while, you see I got a bald head. That's my new look. I hope that it's okay with y'all. Get used to seeing your pastor with a bald head. Hallelujah. Maybe some of you gentlemen will join me instead of trying to keep investing in that role game and all that stuff. But anyway, let's keep on going. I'm oh, sorry, Larry. <laughs> Lord forgive me uh, bad pastor All right, and, and you watch this now I love this he says now and you he made alive now I like the King James version because the King James version says quicken you know back in the old Holy Ghost church when I was coming up they used to say quicken they used to, the old women used to quick you know what I'm talking about don't you brother oh, they be talking to you that's sharing the goodness of the Lord and all of a sudden oh, oh. quicken And you have he quickened or made, gave life who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where we were. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is talking about you and me. He's reminding the Ephesians. He said, the Ephesian church, he said, okay, here's your condition before God came to the rescue. I want you to get this. He says, now watch what he says now in verse 2 still. In which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He says now among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. In other words, whatever our flesh wanted to do, we just did it. If somebody cut us off on the road, we didn't think twice about giving them the finger of love um, or saying some other things because whatever my flesh won't. I just did. He's, that's where we were. And some of us are still struggling with that. Y'all need to pray. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Among whom also we will once conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Watch this. And we're by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. So, so watch what Paul did. Paul said, okay, here, before, before he dropped this big thing on you, because he's about to drop a load on you right now. He's about to drop this thing. He said, Paul first had to say, well, let me take you back to where you were. 
Because what happened is, you know, one of the things the Lord always said about the children of Israel, he said, he said to them, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember where you came from. So he said, I don't want you to get into your land of promise and get who blessed and forget who blessed you. Because I want you to remember all the, all the stuff you had to go through in Egypt, all the oppression. So I'm about to bless you real good. I don't want you to get to a point that you get fat and happy. You have these big houses with these plush lawns and everything's going good. You got all this money in the bank account and you forget me. He always, he said, so, so I want you to remember. So it's kind of the same spirit that Paul is speaking here. He said, I want to take you back. I want you to remember what you were before God came. Well, look at verse number four. But God. Somebody say, but God. But God. See, that means God's about to cancel out everything else. Are y'all getting this? Yeah. Stay with him now. He said, oh, glory to God. He's, he's saying, listen, here's where you were, but God. Well, you know, I got a bad marriage, but God. Well, you know, I'm broke, but God. Yeah. Well, you know, the doctor declared I'm sick, but God. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You can do a whole sermon on, but God. See, as believers, you got that God factor. See, that it looks bad right now. I know the economy looks bad. I know they're saying that the stock market and everything is going down. But see, I don't live on that, but God. For me, but God. I got a God who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Come on. Come on. Somebody ought to get happy with me. He said, I, said, I got a God that can do that. But God. But God. Glory to God. I can't get off of that. But God. Who is rich in what? Mercy. The Bible says he's rich in mercy. He's loaded with it. Then you know his children are supposed to be rich with it too. Oh, glory to God. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Watch this. Because of his great love, even when we were dead in trespasses, made alive, or as they used to say in the old days, quickened, or King James, quickened us, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Now, I want you to see this picture. Because some of us, some of us might think that somehow that we can kind of earn our way. All right? He says, now, you who were dead in your trespasses, now, how many know when you're dead, you're dead. You have no conscience. You can't talk. You can't walk. People can stand over you and they can breathe over you. Can't, you don't do nothing. You are dead. Spiritually, he's talking, before God came, before the but God came, you and I were spiritually dead. That means we had no desire for God. We weren't really thirsting for God. We didn't really want much to do with God at all. We were dead spiritually. We were not connected. But then God just looked at us where we were. He said, oh, there's a dead person. <laughs> and you were quickened. But what did you do to earn that? You were dead. He said you were dead. He was, you were sinning up so bad. I like sinning up. That's my new. You were sinning up so bad that you could not. You, listen, you were in a place you couldn't receive from me. You, were, you, didn't, you weren't even thinking about me. But I decided to look on you and I decided to choose you before the foundation of the earth had nothing to do with you. I chose you. Why am I going to church this morning? Because you were chosen. You didn't just get up and come to church because you just want to get up. And go. I've been chosen for this. I have been set apart. For this, I was chosen. So he just came. He quickened you, quickened you, made you alive. He said, and then he said, "For by grace 
you have been saved. But it, well, watch what he said. I like what he keep, he, keep, he keep going. He says, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in verse 6 in the heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus or Christ Jesus. For, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. What does that say? Not of yourself. It is a what? Gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So we can't even brag about the fact that I'm saved. (laughs) You can't go around bragging about, I'm walking with the Lord. You can't take no credit. You can't go and brag about how holy you are, how righteous you are, how sanctified you are. You can't. The only thing you can do is say, God did it. Jesus just blessed me. He saved me. And you, I, I look good. I look good because he saved me. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm just here to tell you that what he did for me, he do for you too. But it got nothing to do with me at all. Nothing to do with Gary. He just decided to bless me, and, and, and I'm just a recipient of his grace. Now, here's what happens. After a while now, now, now I'm coming full circle. You remember, I said in the beginning, somewhere along the line, you forget that. And when other people walk in, and we, they look kind of shady, we, or not just walking here, but out there, we just, oh, we don't necessarily want to hang around them. We don't necessarily, in fact, sometimes we even talk down to them and about them. Because in actuality, we just forgot where we were and where God brought us from. And so what do we do? We, we do what Paul says we should not do, compare ourselves with one another, which the Bible says is not wise. So who becomes, see, Michelle is not my standard for righteousness. I'm not going to compare myself to Michelle and try to determine how righteous I am with God. But we do that, don't we? We compare ourselves with one another to determine how really righteous we are. But when the standard is complete perfection, which nobody is that. The Bible said all of your righteousness is like a filter rag. You and I got no credit. We can't claim credit for none of it. None of it. It's all God. The Bible says, let him who glory, glory in the Lord. That's it. So now he says, so by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So now let's go back to this woman caught in adultery. Now I've laid the foundation. So here's this woman. Now I got a, I'm looking at this story. And there are a few things that kind of jump out at me. First of all, uh, you understand that in, in the Old Testament, in those days, that adultery was punishable by death. So that's the way it worked. So in both of you are punished. How I many it takes two? It takes two to tangle, commit adultery. The Old Testament law said that if you did it in the Leviticus, I believe, 2010, it says that you'll die. So that was the way it worked. So here the Pharisees and all these people who want to prove Jesus wrong take this lady Right. And they want to parade her up front to highlight her sin. No, she's calling. But but the interesting thing, but 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 but. but, I thought it take two to commit adultery. How come she there and where's the dude? What did he just get away? (laughs) I mean, we caught her, but there is no mention about the guy that she was committing the act with. Now, this is just Gary. 
This is just me. But you remember Jesus said to her, he says, um, let him who is without sin, who is without sin, cast the first stone at her. I just kind of wonder. This is just me. I can't back it up. So I'm just letting you know. But I wonder if this lady was kind of set up and one of those jokers that had the stone might have been the other party and everybody else knew about it. Because as soon as Jesus said, let him who is all sin cast the first stone, everybody dropped the rocks. I'm out of here. This guy got a revelation of what happened. I'm gone. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, because they dropped it. I mean, those, they just dropped it. They dropped. And I'm thinking to myself, man, they dropped those stones mighty quick. Because you remember, they were coming to Jesus because they want to prove and they want to accuse him of violating the Jewish custom so they can have some reason to bring him up before Caiaphas and everybody else to say, look at this guy. But all of a sudden, uh, Jesus said, well, let him without sin cast first stone. And he just leave. <laughs> you wouldn't think they would have more fight than that. I mean, you went through all this. The Bible said they caught the woman in the very act. How did they know that? And where was the dude at? <laughs> and maybe one of those jokers who had the stone. And everybody knew not is, you know, somebody, somebody rob a bank and there's a big conspiracy. And you be the lookout. Okay, you go inside. You stay at this corner. They got everybody. So everybody got everybody know about it. Then the popo show up and everybody start running. Well, why are you running? I, had, I didn't go in the bank. I had nothing to do with it. They had nothing to do with it. Yeah, but you knew something about it. <laughs> and a lot of times because they know something about it, they're already guilty. They're already <laughs> they're gone because, you know, they know that they know something about it. This is what I get a feeling that happened. I can't prove it scripturally, but I kind of get that feeling that this is what happened. But, you know, what was what was disturbing about this is that. There was no concern about this woman at all. She was just like a, a puppet. Just bring her out and parade her just to prove a point. There was no grace. There was no compassion. And then did they really expect that Jesus would say, kill her? Go ahead. I mean, they really was thinking that. They really, he, this caught her. And Jesus just kind of said, no, no, no. First of all, he says, uh, let him who is all sin cast first stone. So we know the story of that, just talked about that. But then he looks at the woman. He looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Where are the folks that dragged you out here to show everybody in the world how bad of a person you are? Forgetting, not even addressing their own issues. It's amazing how that the human nature always want to spotlight or highlight or underscore somebody else's sin. But we have blind eyes when it comes to our own sin. Isn't that amazing how that works? Somehow, I don't know what it is about us, but we just forget where we are. And we're quick to want to say, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they ain't doing this right and they ain't doing that right. But at least they're coming to church. At least they're listening to the gospel. At least something is happening there. Maybe God's grace will impact them in a way that he impacted us. So how did he treat this woman? He faced her. I'm going to tell you something. When, you, when you're sharing your love and the love of God with other people, always respect them with dignity and with grace. Not based upon what they look like in the natural. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's me. I am preaching hard. I need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> 
Treat people with dignity and respect. I don't care who they are, what their economical background is, what their sociological background is, how much money they got. You always treat them with love and grace. That's what Jesus did. He forgave her. He said he forgave her. Then he challenged her. He said, hey, look, go and sin no more. But he didn't say it in a way that says, you better not sin no more. I'm going to get you. He said, look, he just said, go and sin no more because, you know, the consequences of sin are bad. So just don't do it because this is what happened when you sin. There's nothing good is going to come out of a sinful lifestyle. Nothing good is going to come out of it. He treated her sin with total honesty. He was honest and he imparted grace and hope to her, which is what everybody wants. Everybody wants some grace and hope to feel like, you know what? I, can, I don't have to stay in this condition. In conclusion, I'm going to recite this story. You'll find it in, Matt, in Luke chapter number 7. Uh, Dive, I think you got verse uh, Luke 7, 47. You can put that scripture verse up. But it's, uh, the story is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Um, this story is a very, very powerful story. It's a wonderful way to close this sermon. But here, this, uh, this woman, all accounts in all of my study, uh, it's very clear that uh, the general belief here is this woman was a prostitute. And uh, she hears about Jesus. She knows about Jesus. No doubt his fame had kind of spread. And Jesus was invited to eat at one of the Pharisees' house. He goes inside. He sits down to eat. And this woman was not invited. Now, ceremonially speaking, you know, they didn't even touch people like that. I mean, their general belief was you don't come near people like that. You don't touch them. I mean, they don't even come nowhere near your house. This woman, she finds out that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. She's not even, she's not even invited. She don't even ring the doorbell. She just barges her way in. Now, what you can sense there is the desperation in this woman. And I can almost see her saying, you know, my life is messed up. I got no hope. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. I don't even love myself. I feel like I want to die. I just I I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. I'm just. I'm a mess, and I got no way out. Maybe this guy, Jesus, maybe, just maybe, he can really help me. Maybe he can help me. Maybe, maybe this guy can really help me. And, and so she barges her way in. And she is so broken. She is so broken that the scripture says that she cried so much that the tears, her tears literally was washing his feet. Because of the pain and the hurt. This was a woman that was desperate. This was a woman that felt like, I got no hope. Everybody tells me how bad I am. I already know that. I got no hope. What am I going to do in my life? I, you know, this is, my, this is my last hope. This is it for me. If, if I, this is it. And she comes and she's broken and she's just, she's crying. I, you know, the, perhaps not even saying anything. She's just crying. And then she's crying so much that she takes the hair on her head and she dries his feet with it. She is so broken. She's broken. She heard something about Jesus and his power to heal. He says, I'm going to go there because I'll I'll find mercy there. I can't find mercy among a lot of other folk. I can't find mercy, but but if I go there, if I get with him, 
I'm going to, so I'm going to take my chance. I'm just going to bump. I'm just going to go in here. And she goes in and she's just broken and she is crying and she is crying. And you know what the self-righteous Pharisee is doing? He says, what is he, what are you doing? If you knew what kind of person this was that's putting their hands on you, you obviously, you're supposed to be a prophet. You're supposed to know God. Do you know who it is that's touching you? Do you know who this person is? Jesus said, I believe the guy's name was Simon. I'm not sure, but he says, I knew it was a Pharisee. He says, well, can I, can I share something with you? Uh, when I came to your house, you, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my feet with oil. You didn't kiss me. Yet this woman, since I've come in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears. You did nothing of the kind. Because she realized how bad her sin is. He said, look, Simon, I got, you got creditors. One owe you 50, one owe you 500. Neither one can pay you back. You forgive them both. Who is going to love you more? He says, well, you know, the one that you forgave 500. So it is this woman. This woman had a laundry list of sin. She knew where she was. She knew that she was in a bad place. And Jesus said to her, he looked there, he says, woman, though your sins are many, which means he knew. He knew what her sin condition was. He said, I know, there are a whole lot of sin. You've just, you've done it. He said, your faith has made you well. You go in peace. You have been set free. That's the power of the gospel. That's the good news. That's what this is all about. When people come and they share with us their problems, how can we just sit back and not? Tell them that you don't have to stay in that place. There's some good, I have some good news for you. You can be delivered. Your marriage can be restored. You can restore a relationship with your family. Your, 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 what's been broken in your life can be repaired. Jesus can heal that. He can make that well. Can you imagine what this lady felt like? How she must have felt to know that all, the, all that stuff I did, you forgave me? And all the Pharisee could do is just sit there and talk about she's a sinner. He couldn't get over the fact that she's a sinner, as if he's not. What category are we going to fall in? Are we the people that's going to quickly point out people's sin and say what they're not? Or are we going to be those that say, you know what, Jesus can change that? Are we going to accept them where they are? And lift them up to where they can be. Oh, we're going to sit back and just look at ourselves like we have arrived. There's something special about us. You know, it's nothing special about none of us. Other than the fact that we were created in the image of God. And other than the fact that he gave us hope. He did it. That's why we're special. But outside of that, there's nothing to brag about this. (laughs) You know, it's nothing. I mean, you know, we just we we just all messed up. But 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 God fixes things that are broken. There's a lady who said who had a book uh, called God can repair crackpots or something like that. She talked about crackpots. You know how God can fix it. 
That's all God does. That's all we, we're supposed to be people that bear the good news and we just go fixing stuff just by letting the gospel message go, just, just opening our mouth, just sharing the love of God. We have an opportunity to do that next week. And I know some of us are going to be like, well, you know, I really don't. You never know that if you were to just step out just for one moment and say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to believe God that I'm going to help somebody today. You got, you got, listen to me. You have such treasure in you. You have everything that you need. We talk about all the time, I want word. I want the word. I want a church to preach the word. Well, you know what? I want the people to just act on the word. Because that's what we need to do. We got so much word in us. You know, oh, give me a word. Give me a word. Okay, good. Got a word. What are we going to do with it? I am not interested in just having a good word every Sunday. It just don't work. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? A good word is good, but at some point, faith without works is dead. At some point, it all becomes a show. At some point, it just becomes a, 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 a theater where we just kind of come and be entertained and we leave and nobody is being impacted. I, I just don't want that. I, I, you know, I, I just, and I know you don't either. And so those who are not here, I want you all to help me. And I want you all, if you can, to participate next week. Everybody that can. And those who are not, encourage them. See, let's go and find somebody out there who may look at you in the face, even if it's one person, that says, you know what? Why should I believe Jesus? I got no hope. You know, there are, I've been hearing this stuff about Jesus. And I got, I mean, why should I believe in Jesus? Why? And maybe God would anoint you at that second where you begin to share something. And you know what? You're going to feel so good about yourself because you participated in helping somebody come to life. And the Bible says that there's a party in heaven over one person to get saved. The Bible says there, there's a celebration, there's a party, everybody's happy about it. And if God is happy with one sinner, then even if we just got one, if, if every one of us went out and we did 50 doors or 100 doors and one got saved, do you think I won't be rejoicing up here? I'm just saying, you think, you think I wasn't rejoicing when me, my brother and my sister walked through the door? Just one? One couple? One! Everyone is important to God. Everyone. And that's the way we need to think. One family at a time. We might not can get everybody, but who can you reach? Who can you reach? Every head is bowed, every eyes closed.